Welcome to Hello Universe, a podcast about spirituality in our everyday lives. We're your co-hosts, Kylie and Eva. Hello, Hello Universe fam. Uh, This is a solo intro from Kylie, and uh, this episode today is such a treat. But before I give you all the details, I want to take a few moments to hype my bestie, Eva Liao, who we all know and love. So you all have been hearing about Eva talk about her program, Awakening, for a while. And you can see how thoughtful... Ooh, I have tears in my eyes, guys. I haven't even started. (laughs) You can see how thoughtful she is about this creation, how intentional she is about what she puts out into the world. And you know that this program is just full of magic. Anything that's coming from a person as magical as her, crafted with as much love and attention to detail as this, man, this program's just going to blow everyone away. Um, so it's called Awakening. Doors are open right now as we speak, as this is in your earbuds, if you are listening to it the week <laughs> that it has gone live, uh, which is to say the week of November 25th. Um, and if you are listening to this, and you are someone who has been growing and stretching in their own spiritual evolution and just wants it to feel like a gentler process, there is no one, there are no safer hands that you could be in than in Eva's. Um, I personally first connected with her because I was like skyrocketing through a spiritual reawakening and didn't know what parts of the experience I could trust and what parts of the experience were like mind chatter and what parts of the experience were just like a deepening connection to the universe. And, uh, I met Eva and obviously the rest is history, but I say this because I just trust her so implicitly when it comes to the matter of tending to your spiritual evolution. You know, Eva is a true spiritual coach, whether she wants to claim that title or not. She's pretty humble, but she's the kind of person who teaches you how to actually live a life of spiritual alignment. And isn't that what we are all looking for? She has this beautiful ability to really stretch into all these philosophical places, right? She wants to like really question and articulate and think about the important topics of the universe, but then she breaks it down into these practical, tangible, applicable things that make your life better. You know, spiritual awakening for Eva is like, it's this real lived embodied experience. It's this attainable thing because it's what we are all doing all the time in this process of gradually awakening. And so this four-week course is just like you're going to be carefully held by someone who cares so deeply about you and this material, and you're going to be walked through all these loving, gentle, practical ways that you can deepen your relationship with yourself and the universe. And it will change your life. So run, (laughs) do not stop, until you have enrolled in this program. You will thank yourself a thousand times over. With that being said, 
And you will also thank yourself for listening to this week's episode. Um, We are replaying one of our favorite podcasts back from the early days of the show. Um, Because it's Thanksgiving, y'all, and it's important to rest. And not that many people knew about us then. And so not that many people got a chance to listen to Argos Gonzalez. Uh, And I think this is... When when Eva and I were messaging and we both kind of had the idea that we should pull something from the vault, so to speak, uh, we both instantly were like, well, Argos's episode, right? Uh, and this was the episode that we recorded. When we recorded this, this was the moment that we both looked at each other. We were like, this is our vision. It's come to life. You know, at that point, we've been practicing and thinking and talking for months about this podcast on spirituality and what it would look like and what it would feel like. And we talked to Argos and we wrapped the interview and we both were just like, this is it. This is the example of what we are creating. And now we've gone on to have, you know, tons and tons of those kinds of conversations. I almost said thousands. Okay, I just, you know, hopping around in the timeline. (laughs) We've had so many of these kinds of conversations, but this was, I think, one of the first ones where we really felt like, yeah, okay, we're on to something special here. And Argos is just like such a delightful human who like lives what he preaches. So Argos is a meditation and mindfulness teacher, both for teachers and students. And uh, he runs, uh, he helps facilitate um, something called Little Flower Yoga, which is a, a yoga program for students. He helps teach mindfulness to um, to teachers through a program um, in New York City. He was an educator in Bronx for a long time. Um, and he has his own really beautiful, vibrant, spiritual uh, journey that he shares really openly. So I know you'll love this. Enjoy Uh, I hope you're listening to this while you, you know, bake a pie or maybe you're eating leftover pie. (laughs) I hope pie is involved in this week for you. Uh, Even if you're not an American, I still hope you go find some pumpkin pie somewhere just to live vicariously through us. Look, America might have a lot of problems right now, but pie, guys, we all can, we all can celebrate the existence (laughs) of apple pie and pumpkin pie. Maybe that's just me. Um, So that's what I got for you for an intro. Speaking of gratitude, actually, wait, one more thing. This is my signature Kylie move, as I say. Uh, A woman on my team was cracking up because I messaged her today and I said, okay, this is the last message. And then she could see that there were 10 more audio messages after that. (laughs) She's listening to me say, this is the last thing and knowing it's not the last thing. Uh, In a week that is about gratitude, I want to say that I am so deeply grateful for each of you, the community of Hello Listener, the community of Hello Universe, our listeners, you know, even I started the show because we just love talking about this stuff and, and thought it would be fun. And it's just blown me away. What an amazing experience it is to listen to this, to, to listen to these wise people that come on the show and share their stories with us. And then to continue the conversation with you guys in our Facebook group or in our messages. And, um, you know, we said early on when we were deciding about creating the show what if we throw a party and nobody comes, you know? And we decided that it was fine. We didn't care. Like, but we had to ask that question, right? And we were just like, you know what? It doesn't matter because we, we really believe in this party. And even if it's the two of us, we'll have a lot of fun. And you all showed up. And I'm so grateful that you have come to this party with us. Like really, really, really deeply moved. Um, so thank you for being part of my spiritual journey. And I hope that this week is one full of rest and love and community virtual or otherwise, and, uh, and know that I'm really grateful for you. And I know that Eva is as well. And, uh, also go sign up for her course. Okay. Bye y'all.
So as per usual, we start off every podcast with the same question, which is what does spirituality mean to you and how does it show up in your everyday life? Yeah, I'm so glad you let me know about that question beforehand because it's <laughs> such a big question. And yeah. I, I kind of got stumped on it at first because I was like, word, what is spirituality to me? Um, and I think I came down to, just to keep it simple, that spirituality to me has always been about seeing the truth behind things. Um, some people call it the veil, Maya, mm. or just what's really happening, the critical consciousness of this world, right? Um, so to me, that's what spirituality has always been. Um, and it took me a while to get to that answer. But as I look back at how spirituality has shown up in my everyday life, it really just started with questions. We're asking lots and lots of questions. Mm. And uh, I think I have to thank my dad for that, right? Because he always encouraged me to do that. Yeah. Um, much, much to his chagrin afterwards, right? <laughs> he didn't want to be answering all my questions, especially when I was a teenager. Yeah. yeah. To me, that's what spirituality is. It's how do we know what's really real? Oh my God, that's such a beautiful answer. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that question is intentionally big because we want to just keep it general to see what people have to say. And I love getting all the different varied answers, but I would say that I can relate to your story very much because I'm, I think I'm naturally curious, sometimes to a fault. And I think that's also what has brought me to this practice. I think people who are doing this kind of work around spirituality and meditation, they've got to be curious to some degree, because otherwise, why, why would you be here, right? <laughs> well, and I think too, uh, I think about the role of doubt sometimes, right? And that questions is kind of another way of like getting a doubt in that, I don't know, I think there's something so, not to just get really philosophical right off the bat, but there's something <laughs> so like sacred about doubt and that it mm. serves a really beautiful purpose when it's different than which is very different than cynicism right but doubt as like this real like just drive to ask questions and figure out to your point like what's really happening mm -hmm. so i love that answer okay so um going off what you said argos about being curious really what i want to know is what brought you to meditation <laughs> man these questions are huge uh <laughs> I know we don't fuck around. Yeah, <laughs> no, for real. Oh my god. <sighs> and just a well, little bit about your journey, I guess. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. how does one embark upon meditation, and then to like go down and want to teach it to other people? Well, the teaching part, like, it's still a part of me that's like, am I worthy? Right? Like, mm -hmm. should I be doing this? So that's a, a another part of the question that I'll get to maybe later. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I came to meditation uh, through prayer, right? Um, my father, he was raised Catholic, and then he did a bunch of other things. But I think because of that upbringing, he was really into prayer big mm. time. And then he explored a lot of other things, but he always kind of cultivated that sense of talking to God, you know, in me. Um, so I it started a lot with prayer. And as time went on, my father also dabbled in a lot of different things. So he one of the things he would dabble in is meditation. So he would kind of speak to me about meditation and about prayer. And then those things kind of became synonymous to me, where it's like, yeah, when I'm meditating and being still, I'm talking to God or God in me is the way I see it now. Mm -hmm. But when I was young, it was just kind of like, yeah, I need help. I need support. Please help me, God. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how it started at first. And then many, many, many years later, I finally got into a meditation practice where it was more around mindfulness now uh, using that approach. But really it was just through prayer that I came to meditation. 
and then my desire to teach it then came from seeing how much it benefited me. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was really more about my students, right? It's like, oh, my students could really use this, right? Like I wasn't really thinking about me because I got that down. I do my prayers. I do my stuff. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that, right? Uh-huh. More about introducing my students to stuff. But as I started introducing it to them, I realized, oh, wait a minute. I'm the one that really needs it. And then they'll be able to, even if I'm not introducing it to them, they'll be able to feel it. So it's a short answer to a very long journey. But yeah, yeah, prayer was like the first step. And then it became easier for me to actually believe in God more when I got into meditation. Do you feel like... um because your father, it sounds like with someone who's very spiritually curious, that this was just always part of you? Or do you think that it's something that sort of, I don't know, I guess it being a connection to something greater than yourself, that you think it was always there? Or do you feel like you came to it or stumbled upon it at a certain point? I think it was always there. I just wasn't aware of it. I just thought it was like a thing that everybody kind of had. Mm. Um, it became really evident to me. Um, so when I was 14, I, you know, I was getting in a lot of trouble uh, in school, cutting class and doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And my those, aunt, always, those people always make the best teachers later. <laughs> I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my dad, he was a single dad and he was struggling with me. He didn't really know what to do with me. Uh, so we went through a lot of different cycles of him trying to talk to me, of him trying to punish me, of him kicking me out the house, of me running away, of him beating me down, to be honest, because he was mm-hmm. just so frustrated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day in one of our like big incidents, he's kind of like telling me, if you want to live here, you got to follow my rules. And I was like, all right, I'm going to pick up my stuff and I'm going to get out of here. I don't know what the hell I was going, but I'm like, you know, <laughs> yeah, <my> stuff, <laughs> rebellious. Yeah. Right. And then my father, like, slams the door to my room throws me on the bed and then I'm waiting for him to like hit me or do something and then he just kind of falls back I remember so clearly like the wall across from me he falls back and starts crying and Mm. I'm like I never saw saw my dad cry and then my dad goes on to tell me this story that when I was about to be born he had three spiritual guides come visit him tell me that I was going to be born he, he didn't even know my mom was pregnant they didn't know at the time but that he was going to have a son and that his son has this mission and all this stuff and part of me thinks he was telling me that to kind of get me to stay home right mm-hmm. but also him just kind of laying all the cards on the table like I have such a responsibility to you and I don't know what the hell I'm doing and I'm just mm-hmm. trying my best and I'm afraid because in part of that messaging i part of the messaging to him was that I was going to suffer a lot in this world. And he was trying to shield me from that. Um, So that was the time where it became evident to me. It's like, whoa, there's something else happening here. That's not just me and him having like our regular teenage troubles or teenage son troubles. Mm -hmm. There's something here that's motivating him to really try to support me and help me. And he doesn't know how to do it. And this is him admitting that he doesn't know how to do it. Um, which was a really valuable lesson to me for lots of different reasons. But at that point, that kind of shut me up. <laughs> I kind of mm-hmm. sat down. I'm not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah. I felt, <clears throat> I think it gave me a sense of purpose at, you know, at 14. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with myself, but I was like, whoa, like this is real. Like this is important. I'm going to do something in this world that's meaningful. <clears throat> a part of me sensed that I, got, I have to figure out what that is. And I mm-hmm. knew that it meant staying at home. But later it also taught me just coming back to doubt, right? Like, doubt sometimes leads you to I don't know oh my god yes when you get to that point what you don't know is when you finally turn to God or turn to your practice 
and you kind of let go and you surrender and you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Please let me. Yes, me preach, preach, yes. preach. I love what you're saying so much. We've talked about that before on this podcast that it's like humility, right? Finally, when you're like, oh, I don't know. That's when you're humble enough to be like, oh, let me open myself up to something new and and different and like drop the skepticism drop the ego like drop all the even like the rebelliousness and all that stuff and be like let right. me just listen and see like what else might be there and, yeah. and for my father and for a lot of us it's also dropped the desire to control right yeah. like and that was that was basically because i did end up leaving my house at 18 because my father and i couldn't get along mm -hmm. but that was basically what kind of brought him to a point where we couldn't be together anymore it's just this he couldn't let go of that desire to control mm. and then also me at 18 the need to want to have some agency in my life which is a form of control over my life those things came out ahead and then we needed to separate and then we couldn't be yeah. together anymore so yeah. it's been kind of like a lesson that we still keep coming back because even to this day you know my father and I get along fine now right mm -hmm. and it's different now that I'm a parent and like I understand the stuff that he's going through and he was for, him and I first generation immigrants so he struggled with a lot and I would love to tell you a little bit about my father's spiritual journey because it influenced me a lot. But imagine this man coming here and then having to work in a factory after being really well respected and back in his home country, being a spiritual leader back in his home country, and then now just working in a factory mm -hmm. and being in New York city, being in a place where he doesn't know the language and then raising a, a young man in New York city in Jackson Heights, which at the time was a very dicey place, you know, yeah, yeah. lots of stuff happening, you know, and, and I got into a lot of trouble because of all that stuff that's happening. So I could imagine his frustration and his desire to want to control out of fear. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, how that drove me away, right? Yeah, and yeah. So that I could have, I have to follow my own path. And, and looking back at it, it was all meant to be and everything played out exactly how it was supposed to. But I could see how those, those dynamics did create a lot of suffering for him and for myself, right? Yeah. And so a lot of my spiritual practice has been a like, around like, well, the suffering that happens, how do I deal with that? How do I find balance with that, right? And, and I think that's why I'm, I'm really pulled towards like Buddhist uh, path now, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a Buddhist, but I read a lot of like their, mm -hmm. their readings. And I have a lot of teachers who are Buddhist. And, you know, suffering is like the first noble truth, right? Like here yeah. we are, right? There is suffering. And now what do we do with that? Yeah. And, that, and that's yeah. the part I'm interested in. Rather than how do you just avoid it, right? Because actually exactly. so much of the pain comes from our incessant <laughs> attempt to avoid it. Or in the case of being a parent, trying to like avoid it on behalf, like try to put, shield your kids completely from ever getting hurt, yeah, which protect, pushes yeah. them away, drives them crazy, you know, right. drives you work. crazy. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. white, white knuckling it, I feel like is another thing that I see people do a lot, which is like, oh, like, let me just try and force and push and um, con like control and better myself through yeah. this. And then again, that also causes more suffering because it's like more stress and disconnection with yourself and the truth, whatever that might yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so struck by your story. I mean, as a mom, my kids are little, so, you know, we haven't got to the inevitable teenage meltdowns, <laughs> but like, I am so struck by that sense of like, I have this huge responsibility to you and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I, that, that just like strikes me to my core. And I think for me, like I am, I've been such a huge perfectionist my whole life, um, which, you know, I think is a pretty I don't think that's a good thing. Um, and being a parent has really helped me with that because it just makes it clear how futile, like you didn't know fucking where to be perfect, right? Like you just are flying by the seat of your pants and you're doing the best you can in any moment and you really have no idea. Um, and like, 
it you you can't see that until you're in it like i my mom and i similarly had a really dicey relationship when i was growing up and and uh the first time my son had like just this complete like just a temper tantrum like meltdown pounding the fist all i could think of was my mom was 18 years old she had no idea which how would she have known what to do in this situation when her child is just like raging out like of course she like made quote unquote she didn't know fucking clue what she was doing um but i couldn't see that until right. it was my kid who was just having a meltdown you know right. so well now yeah. i have a 13 year old so now i'm like bracing myself yeah but hopefully your meditation practice can i don't know inform a little bit of that because it's all totally. about letting go it's the light i think life actually is this continual process of letting go and then of course you come back when you try to control right. and then you, and then it's like wait duh i have to do redo the thing that i no, I need to do, but it's so hard to like let go, shed the layers of like everything that we're holding on to. It's it's a life. It's like people. That's the thing I I want to convey is that there's no end point. It's not like oh I got this and you're done. It's an ongoing lifelong practice that is never ending because the depths of which you can let go to are endless. Right, and some people would say it's not just one lifetime, right? It's like a bunch of yeah. lifetimes where you're just kind of trying to figure out and learn more about yourself and your connection to source, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm personally really interested in um, the details of your uh, meditation practice, and what I mean by that is like your father was spiritually interested. How did you actually get into meditation and uh, adopt it into a an ongoing part of your life? Yeah. Okay. So. <clears throat> I think to get to that part, I probably have to tell you more around my spiritual practice, mm -hmm. which is outside of meditation a bit, and it's more around prayer. Um, so, you know, my father raised me in a way that was kind of very open-minded. Growing up, I saw him put hands on people and like heal them, right? Mm -hmm. I saw him use plants and do stuff with them that he didn't read off a book, but kind of make them into medicine for folks. Mm -hmm. I saw him practice yoga, karate. Uh, I saw patients coming in and out of the house all the time, right? So I saw this huge spiritual practice that he had. So of course, I want to learn all about it. But somewhere along the way, he had to get a job and he had to pay the bills. And all of a sudden, he turned into like this hardcore newborn Christian, which mm. turned me off big time, right? Because then he's trying to like have me accept Jesus as my savior, you know, personal savior. And I'm like, right. uh -huh. I'm like, wait a minute, like this is confusing to me. Like this isn't at all what I thought about you before. And he was just trying to find his own practice and find the way to ground himself. Mm -hmm. And since then, I mean, he's still a pretty hardcore uh, uh, Christian, but now he's reading like, you know, um, all these spiritual books, uh, The Power of Now, uh, Course I knew of you were going to say Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> Course yeah. of Miracles, yeah. all that stuff. Right? Yes. And, uh -huh. and he's kind of finding his way around. But the dude, like my middle name is Siddhartha, right? So it's like <laughs> I, the dude had a really rich spiritual practice before that. And that's the part that I gravitated to. So as he started clamping down on like, being a newborn Christian, I was really interested in all these different things. And I went to Hunter College and I met a, a good friend of mine, Peggy Robles, who was into Santeria. And then she introduced me to that kind of world. And all of a sudden for like seven, eight years, including when I first met my wife and my daughter was born, I was a practitioner of West African diaspora practice, Lukumi mm -hmm. practice. Right? Okay. So that practice was also about 
prayer, lots of prayer, but then it also introduced me to uh, elemental forces and to a different pantheon of gods uh, that are connected to the elemental forces. And then it also introduced me to ancestral devotion, right? And which was also really important to me and also helped me connect to parts of myself that I hadn't known before. Mm-hmm. And little did I know that, that my grandmother and my dad and lots of other family relatives had also kind of dabbled in that kind of spiritual process. Mm-hmm. I found that out way later. But then when my dad found out I was doing that stuff, he had a conniption, right? He's like, oh, my God, what, you know, like, <laughs> which, of course, pushed me deeper into right. it, right? right. Um, this and- is so exciting. I love this story. <laughs> me too. And- and it forced me also to kind of get real about what I was, I was doing. Like, okay, I, I don't want to just be reacting against my dad. Like, I actually want to be practicing something that's fulfilling to me. And at that, I, was, I must have been, I don't know, 20. It was around the time that I started teaching. So I was, must have been like 25, 26. And that's the time that I met my wife and I had my daughter around 27. So this community of African-American elders uh, who have houses all over the Bronx, um, they raised us. They basically raised myself, my wife, and my daughter. And we really were a part of that community for almost a decade. Wow. Um, and then after a while, we decided to walk away from it in part because, and this is the biggest challenge that I have with a lot of like organized kind of spiritual practices is the relationship part, right? And how being in relationship is so messy. And also the practice had become something for me that was about avoidance. It's like how to do all these things so all these bad things don't happen to me and mm. my family. Oh, which interesting. I think I, I understand why that becomes a spiritual practice to a lot of people, especially for uh, a marginalized and um, people who have no real empowerment sometimes, right? Like they want, they need that to survive. Yep. But I found mm. that I was avoiding a lot of the stuff that, was really part of my core wounding and conditioning that I wasn't addressing. So even Mm. though I was gaining this spiritual power and insight, I wasn't growing internally. And my core wounding was just becoming larger and more pronounced. Yeah. The more you ignore that, the more it grows, right? And then as you are gaining spiritual uh, skills, then those things just amplify whatever's inside of you. And if there are parts of you that are not healed yet, those get bigger as well. Right. Mm. Um, And not to say that I'm like completely healed or you ever are completely healed, but I didn't even have awareness of a lot of that conditioning. Mm -hmm. So we kind of moved away from that. And then I found a meditation teacher through my wife because my wife has actually been meditating since she was 12 and she's been into yoga and all that stuff. And she kind of put that aside as we got into our new spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. But then she reconnected with it at that time. And she introduced me to one of her friends who had also lived in an ashram with her. And his name is David Harshader Wagner. And I started a meditation practice with him. And then he also had a men's club. And that was really instrumental to me, right? Because I got into the men's club with him. I had done some meditation classes with him. But then we, I went on a retreat. It was like a men's retreat, upstate New York. And it was a great, like it was, I had a lot of fun. It was my first time connecting to spiritual men and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then we all went for a swim at the lake at the end of the retreat up, upstate New York. And, you know, I had done a triathlon before. So I'm like, oh, I got this. But it had been like five, six years since I actually swam anywhere. <laughs> so all of a sudden we're going for a swim. And then this little island is actually really, really far. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is really, really far. But more than that, as I look down at the water I'm in and I see the murkiness of it and I look up at this beautiful, clear sky, I all of a sudden had this big sense of overwhelm and anxiety because I felt so small in all of it. And, and then all of a sudden I feel myself like losing 
power over my facility. So I'm mm-hmm. like struggling. And the thing was that I was struggling and drowning and I wasn't telling anybody. I was, I was like doing it in quiet. You know what I mean? Because I was so like embarrassed, you know? So I could have died. But one of the fellows who was there saw me and was like, dude, are you all right? I'm like, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. And so the dude is like, do you need help? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right? So he oh, grabbed me lesson. and took me all the way to the shore. And, you know, after having like a near-death experience, of course, I'm like shaking and I'm like all over the place. And then my meditation teacher at that time, Harshara, uh, he comes over and he's like, this is a good thing, actually. I'm like, mm. I don't see how it's a fucking good thing. <laughs> but I think that was my first moment of realizing that, dude, like there's something in me that I have no idea what it is. And it basically almost just killed me, mm. right? Not even metaphorically, which I think it was doing, right? But like it literally just killed, almost killed me right there. So and I signed up for a nine month training with him, which was mm. really, really, really helpful. But then it kind of repeated another cycle of um, we couldn't just work. We couldn't work together anymore mm-hmm. after the end of that, those mm-hmm. nine months. Um, and then I was kind of like, wow, what do I do now? And at that time is when I was introduced to mindful schools. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, I started, I started bringing mindfulness and yoga to, the, to my students. Mm-hmm. And I wanted some training. And then in mindful schools, that was a year-long training on secular mindfulness. Um, and the three teachers that I met there are the teachers now that I still study with, uh, uh, Vinnie Ferraro, uh, Chris McKenna, and Megan Cowan. And okay. I, still, I still study with them. They've since left Mindful Schools, so but I still continue studying with them. But that's kind of like when I first, so this was back like in 2012, when I first said, okay, I need to have a daily practice and I need to be doing this all the time because there's so much in me that I don't know that I need to at least bring awareness to and learn how to work with. Yeah. Right? So that's like the long story of how I came to meditation. And there's lots of different moments, right? Because I remember yep. even like, you know, Buddhist monks being on the corner of 82nd Street in Roosevelt selling books. And they're like, you know, here's a book on meditation. And then I would take it and he's like, oh, can we have a donation? And I'm like, oh, damn. Okay, here's five bucks. <laughs> and then I'm like reading the book. And then I'm trying to meditate in my friend's basement because I had moved to my dad's house. I was like 19. And then all of a sudden I see a light and I'm like, holy shit, what is that? So I, like, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. This is weird. Like, so there's always been instances of stuff like that, right? Right? And, yeah. and even, in, even in when I was part of the Lukumi tradition, they were like, you should take up meditation. You should take up yoga. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. My wife's been telling me to do that forever. I'm not doing that. That's, that's whack. I need something more active until finally I was brought to my Oh, knees. interesting. Like, yeah. Okay. People have been telling me this for a long time. And, and hello, my middle name is Siddhartha. And hello. <laughs> yeah. Like time, yeah. Maybe it's time to listen. It's not interesting. It sounds like it was going to bring you here. Like all the things are going to knock you over the head and there's going to be signs over and over again. And then it's just a matter of like when you like slow down and Exactly. Listen. And actually yeah. listen. And then, so then now the journey has been that, right? Of returning to that practice. And even then my meditation and my mindfulness practice has evolved, right? Because that, that Vedic tradition that I studied with Harshara mm-hmm. um, was, he, he kind of taught like sit in your fire, right? Like, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to sit in my fire. Wait, what does that, that mean, sit in your fire? Like, sit in the pain, sit in the shit. Like, don't run away from it, right? Oh, mm-hmm. And that was too intense. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, like, too much. And I thought I just had, to, like, that white knuckling, right? Like, I felt like that was meditation was supposed to be like. And that was too much. I couldn't, I just couldn't do that anymore. And then when I got into secular mindfulness, then it was like, 
oh, it's a, it's all supposed to be secular. So, so I forgot about all the other stuff that I had been practicing was not secular at all. And I really dove into like two or three years of just being completely secular. And then I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense at all. Because all those things that were really powerful and instrumental in me finding this practice should still continue to be a part of my practice. Mm. But I needed, I think I needed that separation at least for a little while to be able to then come back to it. And now that, um, especially Megan and Chris have left Mindful Schools, now they're also opening up their teachings so that they're not strictly that. And so now they're involving shamanism, their Buddhism, like Dharvasa, Dharvasa training, and they're secular. And he also has like somatic healing kind of credentials. Mm-hmm. So all of that stuff is what they're throwing at me now, which I'm gobbling up. Because mm. part of what I forgot to mention there is that I also have like the shamanic training that I also let go of. Oh, oh my God. God. I love your history so much. Like by BT dubs, I also have shamanic <laughs> training. <laughs> Like, yeah, I feel like you and Kylie have a beautiful story. Yeah, you and Kylie have a lot of similarities, I think, in your in your stories, which is interesting. So yeah. I know that I went lots of different places, but that's kind of like how my meditation practice has evolved over a long, long time. And and now I'm I'm still uncovering and trying to figure out what what path is right for me, right? With less rigidity. Because right? yeah. what I'm noticing is I, I tend to get very rigid, right? When I first started doing yoga, I'm like, I'm doing yoga twice a day, five o'clock in the morning for an hour and a half, and then at <laughs> nine o'clock at night. Meanwhile, I'm working like a madman because I'm a regular teacher. Yeah. That was not helping at all, right? Yep. It was like actually doing myself damage. Yeah, but oh, that's so common though. Yeah. Yeah. And it was not helping me. It was just bringing up all this stuff that I was not ready to, had no bandwidth to be with. Totally, yeah. Oh, I need to be strictly secular, right? Anyway, so I have that tendency to get so rigid and now my practice is, all right, can I actually be more flexible and Mm -hmm. just kind of go what intuitively picks uh, comes to me? Yeah. It's, I sometimes I picture like a pendulum swing, right? Like that sometimes I'm like, totally undisciplined and not doing it jack shit and then other times i write these like exquisite to-do lists of like this you know very articulated practice that i'm going to do that is totally on like i can't sustain um and and so i i feel like sometimes i think that that my own evolution is just that the pendulum swings get less and less dramatic and i'm getting closer to a place of like just being able to inhabit the space without being super rigid or super avoidant exactly and i think that's at least my my teacher chris would say like that's that's the way it goes actually right? yeah, like yeah. It's like the constant cycle coming back and it unless you come back to it it's different it's not exactly the same like a lot of it might feel like a, the same mm-hmm. but it's actually quite different because you're seeing it from a different perspective yeah i don't know man i can i can relate to the I'm an extreme, I, well, I used to be more of an extremist. I think I've gotten better, but that's, I think, very common because that's how people can understand how to start something, right? You really want to throw yourself completely into something. And I was the same way. I'll be like, about anything that I do, I get really into it, really, like, I'm genuinely ups- interested. So it becomes, like, obsessive and I get extremes. And so I'm like, I'm only going to do it this way or I'm only going to do it that way. But what I have found over time is that it causes me so much stress. Like I'm stressed out by it. So now I've gotten a little bit better about being like, wait, noticing my stress. I'm like, if this is not helpful, if this is stressful, that's a really good sort of indicator for me to be like, okay, I can be somewhere in the middle and in between. And I think that's a good lesson for even on the topic of meditation for people who are listening, who want to learn meditation, like, yes, going to retreats, it can be so helpful. Getting a teacher is so helpful, but also don't beat yourself up and be totally, you know, neurotic about it if you can't meditate every single day. Like, just do right. what you can. 
And I think that's how you, you develop your intuition too, right? Like that's the idea of knowing what's right for you. Like some people are, I think, intuitive by nature, but even those folks, like it takes practice to actually listen to yourself and listen to the signals that your body is sending you, that your mind might be telling you. And then also the discernment from, oh, that's my ego mind, which has its role and its purpose, mm-hmm. right? And then this is like my wisdom heart speaking to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that difference is it's sometimes, at least for me, located in the body. But even to get to that, it's like, wait a minute, I have all this pain, all this trauma in my body. How do I see beyond that so I could actually get into my intuitive heart and, yeah. and, and be able to recognize it? Yeah. This is like one of my most favorite topics. <laughs> um, because for me, a lot of, a lot of, um, in, it just, I just think intuition is so powerful. It's been really, really powerful mm-hmm. in healing for me that like learning to trust my own inner knowing. Um, can you speak a little bit more if you don't mind, if it doesn't feel too personal, but like, what does that feel like for you when that inner knowing or do you call it wisdom heart? I think that's mm-hmm. gorgeous comes up for you. And what is, and, and how do you differentiate between when it's sort of your thinking egoic mind? With lots of practice <laughs> and, and with lots of getting it wrong, right? Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, so a, a lot of what I'm going to be talking to, I can't take credit for. It's, it's been from like courses that I've taken with Chris and Megan uh, within the last year. Um, and so they had a whole course on intuition, right? It was just like, we're going to spend six months talking about intuition, right? And so at first they were like, you know, those simple questions, should I wear this or not? Mm. Like start with that. Yeah. Like instead of like going with like, oh, I don't look good in this or whatever, whatever the story might be in your mind, it's actually dropping in and getting real still and be like, should I wear this? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. Right. And then getting clear in what your yes or no is and doing that as much as you can. So that when like the big thing, should I leave my job? Should I leave my husband or wife? Like, you know, when you're trying to answer those questions, you at least already have a little bit of practice and having the known felt sense in your body, but also. Uh, recognizing the way you speak to yourself, right? Like your ego, Chris would say, speaks to you in very complex debates, argument, Mm. like it has the thesis, right? (laughs) And it has the citations and it's just, this is why, and this is why, and this is what, right? Yeah. And and we get caught up in it. We're like, yeah, that's right. Your intuition, your wisdom heart will just say, no, that's not a good idea. Yeah. And it just feels different right mm. there, there's a kind of a liberation to that versus that citation that debate all that stuff it's making you kind of get smaller and tighter and like mm. right so part yes. of it is also recognizing those things are you feeling freer or are you feeling constriction smaller tightness right yes uh, and then so then that's where my mindfulness comes in right because i don't want, i don't want to downplay the mindfulness part right because the mind those years of me just focusing on mindfulness gave me that ability to know what's happening in my body to know what's happening in my mind to be able to decipher what's what and then like any practice that also became my trap right because then I was so busy deciphering those things that I lost the whole point behind it and I had to come around to it Mm -hmm. which also spoke to the fact that after a while you know like yeah I have a 20-day practice every day that sucked after a while right because it wasn't really giving me what I needed Right. And then afterwards, what I actually needed was just five minutes of being out in nature. Right. Right. Having a good conversation with a friend that I trusted that I could open my heart to. Yeah. Listen to me. Right. So 
So it's, it's kind of like this tension and this balance, right? It's because, yeah, we need to set up the structure. We need to get into the habit, set up like this frame of mind that gets us ready to then let go of it. I think too. Oh, yeah, sorry. I didn't interrupt you. Go ahead. And that's the tricky part. That's all I was going to say. That's the hard yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's always, that's finding the balance, right? That's always so tricky. I think one of the biggest things for me, um, well, one, right, knowing that stillness and mindfulness is the essential power of trying to tap into our intuition. You can't know what's going on without actually knowing what's going on. But I think the big thing for me too was, um, was really starting to make peace with this idea that I, I can't actually make a mistake. That it's it's all fine. Maybe I maybe I maybe my intuition says, yeah, wear the sweater, and I don't wear the sweater, and maybe I'm cold. It's fine, right? Or maybe my intuition says, don't take this job, and I take the job, and it sucks. Okay, I've learned I, there's something beautiful and valuable for me to learn in that, and um, that's definitely very much a journey. But I think for a long time I had a hard time trusting my intuition because I was like, this has to be the right answer. I have to know for sure something terrible will happen if I you know, pick the wrong lane of traffic. And, um, and once I could start to let go of like, it's, it's fine. It's all fine. You are fine. Yeah. Um, that was, oh. I think when I started to be able to actually hear and trust what was coming up for me. Yeah. I think that I love this so much. Cause I think all three of us can probably speak to the experience of like, we're figuring it out. Like we've all tried so many different things. We've done the classes, we've done the self-work, we've read the books, we've talked to our friends, but just because it doesn't necessarily feel like we're figuring it out and it feels uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that we're doing it wrong. Mm. What I mean is like, it's this journey of like, oh, you're making a mistake. That's part of the journey. And that's going to help you also, you know, inform your decisions in the future. It's like, it's like, you're trying to balance like, okay, I want to meditate so I can like, you know, check in with myself and hear what I'm saying. But then you also want to, it's like this balance Argos that you were talking about. Like you have to, you know, be able to slow down so you know what's going on. And then you also have to know like, (laughs) <laughs> like be able to trust your intuition. And sometimes we're just not going to get it right. But as long as you're trying, I don't think you're doing it wrong. Yeah. The willingness, that, right? I think the willingness to, to engage with those part of yourselves that you're not on, not clear about, right? I think that's part of it. Um, yeah. I think maybe what I, I like to lift from what you're all are saying is that um, often, like, let's be real, we, we learn our biggest lessons from the mistakes, from our fuck-ups, right? It's like, that's yep. when the lesson sticks. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, totally shouldn't have done that. And, and that really hurt. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to remember that. But often also, especially with folks who, you know, because mindfulness, in a way, it's being sold as like, you'll be able to find peace and equanimity and be calm and no stress sometimes, Right. And that's true to a certain degree, but after like practicing for a while, things actually get worse, right? And, <laughs> and the reason they get worse is because you're finally noticing them, right? Like yeah. before you were just kind of putting them under the rug, you know, and just like, oh, that's not happening. Yeah, that's none of that is real for me. Mm-hmm. But now if you're actually being honest and you're being clear, like, holy shit, I'm a hot fucking mess. <laughs> yeah, I have fuck? this like simmering rage. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I thought I would, yeah. yeah. Mindfulness is making me angrier. <laughs> yeah, because no, it's actually showing you the anger that you have, right? And so then, in a lot of ways, I'm realizing that the worse things are getting, it's like the more growth that I'm doing, right? Now, you don't want to live there, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. But 
but as, as things start becoming more visible and harder for you, first you turn to your resources, right? And you make sure you have the bandwidth and the energy and the willingness to deal with it. Because sometimes you shouldn't be dealing with it. It's just too much in that moment. Mm -hmm, yeah. But if you do have the bandwidth for it, yeah, investigating it a little bit more and knowing that you're probably on the right track because actually you're seeing more clearly the not around whatever it is. Right. You're learning to like be with it rather than it, it, push it away and resist it. But I do think that mindfulness... Um, and meditation and self-care and all these things are really helpful because it allow teaches you how to sit with it without mm. feeling like you're gonna crumble and dissolve into a million pieces. You know, it's like Kylie and I saying is like you can sit with it without with knowing that it's not gonna swallow you whole. And that is invaluable. It's like holy shit, to be able to sit with discomfort is I think <laughs> like a superpower. This, yeah, like a like a bomb because that's so much of what uh, causes, I think, suffering in our everyday lives, even just like, just, you know, even with my clients, like, and I get it, I've been there, like you it, sitting, like people, the urge to pick up your phone all the time, right? Because you're uncomfortable sitting with yourself. It's like that restlessness that like grows when you want, we're so used to stimulation. We just want something to, um, distract us. And, being able like something like mindfulness and meditation is like oh wait I can sit with this itchy kind of gross feeling and right. just notice it and it's not gonna <laughs> and it's and I have the strength and the capability and like I'm okay it's a totally. big it's a big deal totally um and I agree with that right because if you don't have that baseline that ability to be with discomfort then nothing else is going to be able to progress right yeah. um I um I was pointing to the fact that people kind of expect it to be there all the time. And if all of a sudden they're sitting in mindfulness, right. In their meditation. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm not feeling calm. I must be, <laughs> I must be doing it wrong. Yeah, What's right, wrong right. with me. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and, and no, you're not. It's just, that's the natural rising of what's occurring. And if you follow it, it might dissipate a little bit or it might not. Right. Yeah. And then you use your discernment to like, okay, this is enough for now. I'll come back to this when I have a little bit more resource or I need to help, help from a friend or a teacher or it gets to the point where like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Please, somebody help me. Right. And then and you send that prayer up. You ask your guides or you ask whoever you communicate with, please, I need your help. I, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm willing to admit that. Please support me. Yeah. Right? I'm willing to listen. Whew. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this feels so fulfilling for me <laughs> seriously i i have a another question for you actually yeah. um so i would just love to hear you talk a little bit more about prayer because it's clear that you have a really rich relationship and history with prayer and it sounds like it's meant different things for you at different points and and i think in some ways i think that word is triggering for some people who maybe come from a and feel ostracized by a very like you know dogmatic religious tradition um but it sounds like you've it's something really powerful and beautiful in your life. So I'd love to just hear you speak to it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so when I was growing up, there were like two different kinds of prayers. Uh, and even in, when my father would communicate them to me, there would be different. I, I'm forgetting the second word, but one word was oración, which sounds a little bit like oration. But and then the other word was speaking to what you're saying, like reading your Hail Marys or something, right? Like it was like the prayer from the Bible or whatever that you're supposed to say, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, and my father grew up Catholic, so he knew those, right? And I did go to Catholic uh, 
service every once in a while. So I knew them a little bit. Uh, and even when I used to do the Lukumi tradition, like there were prayers that you just said, right? When you mm-hmm. were by the ocean or by the mountain or when you were doing a spiritual ceremony that are part of the ritual, right? So mm. there's those that, that I think are important and they have a role and they have a, an, a, a way of supporting those rituals and supporting and bringing everyone together, which I think is ultimately really important. But I was more interested in the conversation, right? Mm. In the like, I'm just conversating with God or with my spirit guides or with my ancestors. Um, and I'm just having a conversation and trying to open my heart as much as I can without, you know, asking for something, right? Because part of the other thing around mm. prayer is like often it's framed around like, please help me get that job or whatever, right? Whereas this was more like, yeah, I want you to help me for sure. I, mm-hmm. I am asking for that, for your assistance, but that's a given, right? Like in my belief, at least it's like, you're there, you're, that's what you're there for, mm-hmm. to just help me. And, and your heart is so compassionate and so open that that's why you're my guide. Otherwise you wouldn't be, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just about asking anymore. It was just about having this conversation about the truth of what was in my heart, whether it was ugly or beautiful or whether it was a realization of how lucky I am or how wonderful I've been uh, life has been to me and or a condemnation of like fuck you how could you allow this to happen to me right mm-hmm. all of that was welcomed right so that's what prayer is to me now um when it comes to the way they combined in my practice at least you know, a meditation practice, it's kind of like the prayer always is like, I want to listen. Like Mm. I'm here and I just, I don't know. I want to listen. I need your support. And then I get lost in thought and all Mm -hmm. the other stuff that you get lost in. Right. And then I come back to like, oh yeah, that's right. Like I'm just, I just want to listen. Right. So then in the way that it combines with my other like shaman, shamanic training or even the Lukumi tradition, then all of a sudden that prayer is answered in lots of different ways right? It might be a voice that sounds very distinctly from my own voice coming mm-hmm. through to me in a way I'm channeling it, right? Or as I'm walking down the street, something happens, like the light reflects in a certain way, or uh, uh, I'm seeing lots of cardinals all of a sudden for some reason, right? And I'm like, oh, what does a cardinal mean? Let me look it up, right? <laughs> or like, right? Like there's all these different ways of life showing me like you're on the right track. And mm-hmm. so then, God, so then it becomes this. like a conversation. Um, so it's, it's evolved quite differently and it's become something different for me. Whereas it's funny that I'm even saying the word prayer a lot because I don't even call it that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like, it's just what I do. It's like just kind of commu- like, it's like a communion, I think is exactly. what exactly. So what they say in AA, it was also like constant communion with God. And, oh, I, I love this. Cause you're actually re- reinvigorating my wanting to commune because I'm, you're right. Like, I'm so guilty of being like talking, saying prayers because I need help with something and I, and I want something, but I'm re-motivated just by hearing what you're saying. Like, yeah, I can just be in constant communion with God all the time. And that's, to me, sounds like fun. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's like cool. So, oh my God, thank you so much for sharing of that. Yeah, I think, and I also love the distinction that like, there's the ritualized prayer. There's the like, okay, I really need some help here prayer. And then this, just this other thing that is just this conversation that doesn't have a formal beginning or end, but it's like kind of just this ever present, like it's just there. Right. In some ways I like to think that we're just constantly receiving messages, like whatever sort of universal love is out there. Like, you know, <laughs> the other day I was, um, uh, 
I was cutting up some fruit for my, I was cutting up a pear for my son. And all of a sudden, I swear to God, I just like heard my grandmother be like, I love pears. <laughs> and like, I, like she had 10 kids. Like I feel very, like with all my children are little, I feel like in this moment, like especially close to her. Um, uh, like that's, that's something I've experienced different, different points in my life. One of my like loved ones sort of steps forward and is like, you know, leading the charge. And, and so I feel very close to her right now. And I was like, oh my God, like you are here in my kitchen. You want a pair. <laughs> um, uh, and I just think that that's there, but she's probably saying things to me all the time that I just don't hear, but for some reason in that moment, I could hear her. Mm. Um, and so like the more I can cultivate stillness, I think, you know, in space, the more that's, I can just receive what's already happening. Exactly. And, and I love that you th threw the word stillness in there because it, it, what I was hearing was that you were very still in the moment cutting that pear yeah right and then and then you heard that voice it's like oh right right and then yeah. in that way you were connecting right and and then there was no boundary between the physical and the spiritual it was just like all in that all in that moment was there yeah yeah um mm -hmm. Okay, wait, so I have a question specifically yeah, yeah. about the difference and your relationship between um, mindfulness, which I consider to be like the more secular approach, and then also spirituality and how those two converge for you, especially because um, you're teaching mindfulness in schools. Are you teaching in public schools or teaching yeah. to students? So that, so I assume it has, you have to take a secular approach. Definitely. Just, is there contrast there, confusion, or do they complement each other? Because that's something I have a hard time with is like, I want, and I want to say this because I, you know, work with mindfulness or meditation, actually, I call it with my clients. And sometimes I don't know how to broach. Sometimes people come to me with a very secular approach, which is also cool. Like if you want to meditate, any reason you come to meditation, great. But I feel like sometimes my concern with the secular approach is it kind of strips it of, kind of like you were saying, it strips it of a lot of the more meaningful spiritual elements of it. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm saying that, that it strips it away from mm. mm. And, and I'll just say that this is actually like a conversation that's happening a lot in secular mindfulness, especially mm -hmm. mindfulness and education. And there are lots like lawsuits have occurred. And uh, oh, wow. this lady, Gunther Brown, I forget her first name, wrote a book around like how yoga and mindfulness are changing education and making them non-secular. And so she mm. wrote like a whole book on how that's dangerous, right? Um, so this is a conversation that even as my position as a lead teacher with mindful schools in a year long, like we have to be very cognizant of because we are training other teachers who are going to go work with other students. So I like to frame it, we like to frame it around it being inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. And accessible. So if we want our practice to be inclusive and accessible to all, mm -hmm. then we have to be respectful that uh, folks have mm -hmm. their own spiritual practice, have their own way of approaching things. And I don't want to, I don't want to step on that. Mm -hmm. I want them to continue doing that. Or even they're just, they don't believe, right? And that's cool. Like, I don't want to step on that. You get to choose what's right for you. Yeah. What I want to just offer to you is a way to make more sense of whatever it is you're doing. And I think mindfulness does that. It brings that awareness so that you can see what's happening inside of you, what's happening around you in the world. And then with that awareness, you can more skillfully decide what's right for you or not, right? There's a lot of confusion though, right? Because mm -hmm. everybody, John Kabat-Zinn, who kind right. of created MBSR, started mm -hmm. as a secular project in order to do research. But even now he will be like, no, mindfulness is very much Buddhist. And then we're like, mm -hmm. no, don't say that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's no, yeah. like, don't do that because you're going to mess it up for everybody, right? right? Yeah. 
Um, and, and I get where he's coming from because we also don't want to have like these cultural reappropriation of things mm. that have been practiced by Asian folk for millennia. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Oh, look, check it out. It's shiny. It's new. It's Western. Right. Right. <laughs> yes, totally. Right? So all of that also informs what I'm trying to do in the work. Right. I want to be real to it, but I also want to be respectful to the people who are coming to it and who ultimately are coming to it because they want support. They want help. Right. So for me, it's about me embodying now, whether I'm Christian or Mm -hmm. Buddhist or Muslim, like you could still enter these public spaces and embody your practice and still be secular in those spaces. Right. So Mm -hmm. I have a deep spiritual practice that mindfulness complements. So when I walk into any of these spaces, I'm still me. It's the totality of who I am. That's how you're getting. But I'm also being clear about there's certain things that I cannot speak about in this space Mm -hmm. because this is not the space for it. Now, mindfulness doesn't own compassion. Mindfulness doesn't own awareness, right? It's it's just kind of created a system for those things to live in, right? And of course, if you're going to a Buddhist retreat, their take on mindfulness is going to be different than if you go to a secular mindfulness retreat, right? Mm-hmm. And then you'll have a lot of yogis or, or TM practitioners. They all try to say, yeah, I'm doing mindfulness too. Mm-hmm. And I like to push back and say, are you though, really? Mm-hmm. Like, because Secular mindfulness are these things and TM uses a mantra, which means it isn't secular. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. I'm yeah. not saying you can't do that. You just can't teach that to other people. If that's working for you, that's awesome. Right. You can't teach that in a secular space anyway. If people are signing up for your yoga studio mm-hmm. and, and you're letting them know, yeah, we're going to talk about chakras and we're going to talk about this and my mantras and all this, then they know what they're signing themselves up for. But if you're going into a public space like a school, those kids, those parents are not sending their kids. For them. Yeah. So how do you balance that though? Because I mean, that is, that is such interesting work. Like, so what I'm so, why I find you so intriguing and so fascinating is that you have this strong spiritual practice and then, and then also, and I love what you're saying about mindfulness being inclusive. I love that perspective so much more than, than me thinking about like how it's like stripping it of it. I, I like thinking about it. So, so it's everything. But how do you find that balance in when you are talking to teachers and also students, um, you know, at all ages? Right. Uh, well, so first of all, when I'm introducing people to stuff, it's really more about capacity building, right? What do, you, what do you mean by that? Meaning like some folks can't sit down for two minutes in mm-hmm. silence, right? Mm-hmm. Some folks can't train their attention on an anchor, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. they can't just listen to the things around them. They can't just feel their feet on the ground. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm quite literally just building the capacity to sustain awareness and attention. Got it. Yeah. That's very basic, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, mm-hmm. I, it's not attention training because there's some compassion there as well, right? That I'm trying mm-hmm. to bring into it. But compassion is also not uh, a religious thing. Compassion right. is something that we all practice or yeah. can be better at practicing. And it's something, and even there's a lot of science around how our mind is wired for compassion, for mm-hmm. connection, right? So there are places that I could point to that will let folks know that this is actually universally accepted. Like there's mm-hmm. scientific research on this. And also I'm just building that capacity. Now, let's say I'm talking to uh, year-long practitioners, right? Who, in order to be in this year-long practice, they need to have a, a daily 20-minute practice. They need to have had mindfulness in their lives for a while. Now, I am going deeper with them, right? But I'm also differentiating with them that, listen, I have a spiritual practice, and I'll be transparent about what this spiritual practice mm-hmm. is, but this is not what I'm offering you, 
Right? Got I'm it. just saying that if you have your own spiritual practice, mm-hmm. don't just leave it behind because mm-hmm. now you're entering the mindfulness world, right? Instead, can mindfulness bring gl- greater clarity and greater intimacy in what your spiritual practice is? Oh, I so love that, that conversation. That conversation is different, right? Mm-hmm. So then, so then, if you go, for example, like and and full uh, John Kabat-Zinn's full catastrophe living, right? He has like the, I forget the thirteen qualities of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Those qualities are all secular, right? And mm-hmm. they are all very helpful. Yeah, right. Like a beginner's mind, for example, right? Non-judgment, mm-hmm. right? Like right. All that, they're all very helpful, and they're all secular. So they fit within the secular world but of course if you have a beginner mind in your christian practice or in your buddhist practice that's also going to support you or just in your relational practice yeah it's going to support you right so it's broader in that sense Oh my God. Yes. Of of course. It totally answers my question. And I'm now I'm so freaking stoked because I cannot believe that you are teaching mindfulness in schools and to students. Like you are doing God's work. (laughs) Like not just as as you're an educator, you're a teacher, which is like in itself, whole thing and then i can only i my assumption is that bringing this into schools and education i for some reason assume it's like an uphill battle i don't know if that's true but what i want to know is like because my hope is that meditation or mindfulness can be something that becomes the norm that we can live in a society where it's normal to take 20 minutes out of your day and just be by yourself in silence. Like that would be some, that's like some super big ideal. And I would like to normalize that. And I feel like you're kind of, because education is so important. So you're like at the ground doing that. So I, I call it love's work, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, once I start talking about God's work, then I get in trouble, right? So I call it love's work. And I, think, and I think that also opens up the conversation a bit because folks believe in love for the most yeah. part, right? And, and want to have a world that's uh that's more in love with itself and with others right um and i also think maybe i'm i'm more i'm not as ambitious because i'm i'm like if you just have a 30 second mindful break Mm -hmm. i'm happy Mm -hmm. right like 20 minutes is awesome don't get me wrong but if you're just able to like pause in the moment before you're going to say something nasty to somebody else. <laughs> yes, yeah. of course. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then good. I did my job. Yeah. Right. And then if you want something deeper, for sure, go down that way. But I don't see myself in that sense as a spiritual teacher. Mm-hmm. I just see myself as like planting seeds, right? Like, mm. hey, take this, try it on for size. If it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't, then disregard it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to offer something that's hopefully helpful. And if it isn't helpful, then it's your choice. You have the agency mm-hmm. to choose for yourself, right? Yeah. And, which is, there's a other topic, but this is my connection then to like social justice work, right? To radical social justice work. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't want you to believe the things that I'm telling you because I'm telling you. Yep. I want you to believe them because you tried it on for size and you made the conscious choice to say, yeah, I'm willing to do this again. Mm-hmm. Or no, that's not for me, yeah. right? With your full agency, yeah. with your full knowledge of that. And that's what mindfulness to me is about. It's like bringing awareness to the truth in the moment, whatever that truth may be, whether it is something that we agree on or not, right? Not big capital T truth because mm-hmm. we'll all have different objectives of it, um, um, perspectives of it, but just like the truth that's in this moment that's evident to you empirically. Yeah. And then from there, you could start looking for capital T's right but that's your practice that's not my decision to make you have do 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it because that's part of my practice. And maybe I'll encourage you to do it. But again, it's up to you to decide that whether you're in pre-K or whether you're a grad student that I'm working with at Hunter College, like the choice is yours. Ugh. I'm going to offer you these things and hopefully you'll like them. Like, yeah, I am biased. I'll admit that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm hoping you will. Yeah. But I'm also totally open that it won't. Yeah. You know? Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I, I think 30 seconds already is just such a huge, like, just to be able to breathe for 30 seconds. I, I had a client do that the other day and he's like, holy shit, that was like liberating <laughs> because like he hadn't stopped to. I did that this wow. morning. Like, yeah. you know, it was a chaotic morning. There were Rice Krispies all over the floor. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I went to go, uh, I was actually getting the broom to clean up the Rice Krispies. And I just like, I was like, everyone is safe in the kitchen. Take five deep breaths. And I stood there with my hand on the closet door and I just took five breaths and the rest of the morning was so fucking different you know like 30 seconds is huge yeah Um, I mean it probably wasn't even five breaths like you know I try to take deep breaths it probably wasn't even 30 seconds right but that's it's huge yeah I'm Um, just so moved by what you said though like essentially yeah having people letting people have their own agency as long as they're really you know you give it you try and be present for it and try it give it a full try and then yeah it's it's up to you and that's beautiful (laughs) Yeah, it's an experiment. Yeah, that's what it is, right? If I heard you right, it sounds like you were saying this whole this like, this notion of like I'm gonna give you this, and you feel like it, you know, great. If not, also fine. Um, you linked that to to radical social justice. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Because yes, uh, yes, that's yes. One of the notes that we <laughs> both had, yeah, like, we wanted to know like, more about. Yes. Well, you know, this was what I, that ITAG was meant to be, right? Like it was about uh, radical social justice. Um, yeah. So just really quick. So ITAG was this course that I took with Argos right. back in New York a long time ago, six years ago now, um, where I thought, you know, you did a wonderful job and it was very, I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. An, an inquiry to action group, ITAG, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what we were exploring there was beginning to explore. Now, a lot of people were doing that work at the time and are still continuing to do that. Is like, what is the role of mindfulness in social justice, right? Because those things have to be, have to come together. The work is complex in part because as you look at the field of mindfulness and yoga, even wellness and mental health, as you look at this field, it's basically cisgender white woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and those folks are elevated a lot of the time in the field. And what we're trying to do is kind of push back a little bit and also highlight, wait a minute, there's a lot of people of color who are actually doing this, mm-hmm. who should probably have a microphone too, mm-hmm. should have a platform, should have a voice. So that's part of the conversation as well. Yeah. And yet on top of that, like mindfulness, remember it came from Asia. And so did yoga. Right. So it's like, so it's kind of bringing it back home in a way and, and, and letting folks know that this is where these practices originated from. And sure, they're different now, right? Mm-hmm. But this is where they originated from. So part of that is also giving credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. But also it's the recognition that if we're leading with, with, with hate or anger or, uh, or if we think that social justice is going to occur because we're angry and because we're creating uh, a lot of noise in a way that isn't held with compassion and awareness, then we're not getting anywhere. We're not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's time we approach social justice work with love and compassion. Mm-hmm. Not easy at all, right? No. Especially when you feel that you're being attacked 
But if you look at all our, 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 all our great civil rights leaders, yep. uh, and John Lewis has this great podcast on being, where, yeah. <laughs> where he talks about like, I'm going to protest. And when I was going to protest, we were rehearsing and role playing what it would feel like to get spit on, to get hit on, to be called names so that we could prepare ourselves to meet that with love and compassion. And if you were not ready to do that, if you felt like you were going to hit back or insult people back or even raise your hand in defense, you were not allowed to go on these protests. Wow. Right? And so this, there's a precedent for this kind of work that I think has been lost. Right. And, and, I, and I get it. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of injustice happening in the world. So it's easy to lose sight of that. But what I think mindfulness and, uh, and meditation, what it can do is bring us back to the truth of everything, which is that love is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And that mm-hmm. love will save the day. Yeah. It won't be anger. It won't be even self-righteous anger. It will be our recognition of like, you know what? We are all human. Yeah. We are all lovable and we should all be loving. And some of us are further along in that trajectory than others. But those of us that are further along, our job and our responsibilities is to bring all those people along with us, not to divide, not to separate or to shame, which is unfortunately what tends to happen a lot in these movements. And the other part is mindfulness is supposed to give us the bandwidth Mm -hmm. it's supposed to allow us to have these very uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. without losing our shit and i'll tell you it's not easy because even within mindful schools and and even at the cuny grad center hunter college places that are very progressive left-leaning who believe in this kind of work it's hard to have these conversations Mm -hmm. because sometimes i'll say shit that's not very woke that's actually very offensive Mm -hmm. that's actually uh regressive and folks have to be able to tell me that with lots of love so that mm. i can receive it because if you start shaming me if you start pointing the finger at me it's going to be a lot harder for me to see the truth in what you're saying even if you're 100 percent right i'm i'm going to be too busy defending and pushing back yeah. to actually see the truth of what you're saying and then there's no growth happening yeah. here and there's just resentment and shutting down and a lot of our great social justice movements broke down because our social justice leaders couldn't get past disagreements with each other so then they splintered off and then if we're divided we're not going to be able to do the work that we need to do to change the world what do you do with the anger then yeah you reintegrate it (laughs) that's such a good question kylie yeah right and that's easier said than done right it's like i guess it's kind of like noticing the Mm -hmm. anger oh Mm -hmm. there's anger arising but that anger is not who i am Mm. right that anger is a part of me for sure but it's not the totality of who i am so what can i do with that anger to turn it into an energy that would bring love into this world mm-hmm. all of that is super hard though that's like advanced practice time yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well can we such a thing i don't know i don't mean to put you on the spot because i don't know sometimes it's also really hard to think of something right in the moment but do you have any examples that you've seen in your work where this is conspired because um, yeah, I mean, again, bring back, bring us back to the, also some of the themes of this podcast is how do we make this more applicable and um, practical, I guess, in our everyday lives. So I'll, I'll bring it down to like uh, my home life, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so I get to work from home now a lot of the days. So does my wife. Uh, so, and we have our own business together and uh, we do this work together and we raise our children together and we and we're 
holding a household together mm-hmm. and we spend a lot and it's amazing i've been with her for 15 years and i love her to death mm-hmm. right like it's awesome but as you can imagine yeah. right uh, when you're in close relationship with people, all these things come up, right? So yeah, we've had very angry conversations, mm-hmm. right? Where we've blown up, we've yelled, we screamed, we've like said nasty things to each other, right? And that anger is all out there and super unproductive, right? It's just hurtful and just being thrown at each other. And then after that, what happens? You feel guilty, you mm-hmm. feel bad. And it's like this whole cycle of it, right? That you just kind of keep coming back to. Well, the way we are able to stop that, right? Is by getting still, being quiet, trying to listen to the other person, Mm -hmm. trying to listen to yourself, asking for space when Mm -hmm. it's necessary. Like, oh, you know what? Um, I'm feeling myself being, getting really angry and upset. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm not sure where that's coming from. I need a break from this conversation. Mm -hmm. I need a little bit of space. Can we come back? Right? Like there are things that are super time consuming, right? And also dependent on having strong relationships, right? So obviously I could do this work with my wife because we live together. We've been together. Like we trust and we're safe with each other, right? Mm -hmm. So so we could have these blow ups and then we could come back and heal the relationship, Mm -hmm. right? And and then also learn from it and maybe even analyze a little bit. Yeah, have a conversation. Curiosity, right? But yeah, we get angry with each other and it gets nasty sometimes. So what do we do then? Mm-hmm. We forgive each other. We come back to the table. We take responsibility for the roles we play in it, right? There's like, we have, we have trainings in nonviolent communication and in mindful communication and all that stuff. And it goes out the window when we're angry, yeah, for sure. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. But then when we come back, we lean back on that. And then we have a lot of like, you know, the regular I statements. Right. I feel really hurt. This is what I'm going through. This is why I acted this way. I'm taking responsibility for that. And then we take turns doing that. And it's messy. It's yeah. never like super linear. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of how the work is. Well, so, this reminds me of this Sharon Salzberg quote which I love, I keep with me all the time is she says, uh, the healing is in the return, not in ever, not in never having strayed, which is, I feel like what you're saying exactly about your situation, the contentious situations, it doesn't mean they don't happen, but how can you respond to them? How can, do you have the bandwidth and the compassion and the patience and the humility to come back and be like, I'm ready to listen, or I'm sorry, or here's where I fucked up. (laughs) And it's coming back again and again, just like your meditation coming back again, again to your breath. It's, and, and I think that's the challenge if there is one is that, you know, society's kind of geared towards like having that quick answer, having like a quick solution, having a way to do things that, that always work without fail. And there is no such thing, right? Like there's coming back and coming back, like you're saying, and coming back and not being afraid of making mistakes, not trying to be perfect and owning up to your stuff and making mistakes again and coming back again. And that's all there is. There is no quick solution. There is no quick answer, no silver bullet. And there's definitely not a quick, easy way of doing this. And I think what's missing, uh, which we pointed to before was the willingness to do that. Mm. Right. And I, and I think that's key in anything in our own practice, the willingness to be uncomfortable in relationship with each other, the willingness to be wrong and to get it wrong. Right. Yeah. All of that sometimes is not there because we're in a society that, you know, of overachievers of wanting to present a certain kind of facade and, and, I see how those things are important in some ways, but I also see how they're very limiting yeah. for real spiritual growth, for mm. real change in the world. Um, 
So I'm hoping that answers your question. I'm not sure how radical that is because it's actually stuff that we all know. Yeah. I think what's radical about it is that I'm actually trying to implement it and share it with people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think it's it's helpful because it's so, like you said, everyone can relate. That's like some everyday shit right there. Everyone can uh, relate to that situation that you're talking about. <laughs> I feel like also again and again, when I have these like totally, I have a moment that feels like a total epiphany or something really transformational. And I'm like, oh, I, I knew that. <laughs> there is always a part of me that's like, I already knew that. Maybe I read it 40 times and then finally my heart actually understood it or, you know, or, or, or something along those lines. But um, yeah, the most radical things are also the things I think we already know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I have a question. Sure. <laughs> I have one last question that I'm dying to know, which is because you teach mindfulness to both children and adults, I am so curious about what the difference is in terms of their receptivity, like how, how they take these, this concept on. Yeah, that was going to be my question too. I really particularly cool. want to know about children and have how, what their experience is. And, and if I'm curious now that you mentioned that you have a daughter, um, if that's something that you've shared with her. <laughs> In your, yeah, selfishly, in your I want to know how to do this with my kids. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Right. But no, but just, just get to the gist of it. <laughs> yeah, my I statement needs. <laughs> um, all right, so my so I'll start with my daughter, and so I don't want to make it seem like she's doing all this stuff because if anything, she's like, oh god, here's my daddy. Right. Oh, right? <laughs> right. Well, especially um, since both of her parents are are involved. Exactly, yeah. Right. So it's kind of like we we actually we invite her to stuff but we're not like pushing her because i think that will like turn her off if any, we're a little bit we push yoga on her a little bit more because she does a lot of sports mm, right okay. mm-hmm. so it's like you need it for your body honey i'm sorry mm-hmm. and then she gets upset right she's like i don't want to do this <laughs> but she does it the mindfulness i think it's more my modeling mm. with her right and so she sees me practice she sees my my wife and i kind of take our space if we need it uh she sees me being conscious in the way i'm speaking like she sees all that and i think that's more at least from people in your home like that's how it kind of translates more right yeah in particular my you know i have a third grader you know he's not really gonna get down with the conversation of mindfulness but he'll get down with an activity Mm -hmm. right and so then that's how i kind of segue and i'll segue into talking about bringing mindfulness to children and it doesn't look like I don't know, like the pictures on Google, I suppose, right? Well, the kids are like sitting there really quietly. <laughs> like that's not at all what's happening, right? Um, and, and again, it's more about my practice going into that space and making sure that I'm sharing love and being as mm. mindful as possible. Like that makes the real difference. In particular, when I'm working with teachers who are trying to do this, like I, I actually encourage them not to share it with their students at first. Like practice it first, mm. you know, like live it. Right. And then just you coming to the classroom a little bit more mindful will have more of an impact than you trying to force your kids to do something that you're not very clear about yourself. Right. With that said, um, I take a lot of my approach from like the little flower yoga, which is the training that I, that I took. And, and I'm actually, and actually I'm one of the lead trainers as well, alongside my wife and they have like a methodology and a whole thing to it. But basically, it's just having lots of fun with them, mm. right? Like making it, translating it in a way that is accessible to them so that they feel like they could do it and try it at any moment, right? And then also making it age appropriate, right? And also um, not just age appropriate because sometimes people think, well, you're teenagers. You should be able to sit for five minutes, which is not true at all, mm-hmm. right? Like 
in that way, it isn't really about age, but really about your capacity to be able to do something and something that you've practiced and become better at. So yeah, teenagers might have a larger capacity for concentration, but they haven't been practicing. So they're probably still at that third grade level with my third grade son, right? Mm -hmm. So, so is having a lot of awareness who your audience is and then just having lots of fun activities. And so Little Flower Yoga has a methodology, which is like connect, breathe, move, focus, relax. So we have lots of different activities that are about connecting, which is like, how do we connect to each other? How do we have conversations with each other? How do we mindfully listen to each other? How do we connect to our environment? How do we connect to ourselves, to our body, to our breath? And we like quite literally practice different activities to do all those things. Mm. Breathe. What are different breath activities that you can do that could be soothing? Which ones are more energizing? Which ones involve your body, which will be more fun, right? Because kids also need to move, right? So that's kind of like what we do. We figure out activities that will kind of build capacity and be fun and relevant to the kids. The older you get, then there's more conversation, right? So around older students, then you just bring in conversations that are super relevant. The most relevant right now are like lack of sleep, Mm -hmm. right? Like everybody's struggling with it, but in particular teenagers. So, hey, here are some activities that might actually help you fall asleep, right? So Mm -hmm. we, we show them a lot of different somatic holds, like a hand on your chest and a hand on your belly and just take a couple of breaths there. Notice how that feels, right? hopefully feel soothing, hopefully help you fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Right? And a, a lot of hopefullys and, and maybes because mm-hmm. we don't know that it'll work for everybody. And the last thing you want to kind of offer somebody is like, this should be making you calm. Mm-hmm. And then that person is not making me calm. Something's <laughs> wrong with me. Like, no, no, no. It, I, I yeah. hope it does. If that doesn't work, hey, I have another one. Try one on mm-hmm. your chest. Try one on your forehead. Mm-hmm. Oh, that doesn't work. Hey, I have another one. Give yourself a hug. Right. And so that's kind of like what we do have a lot of, um, choices have a lot of different ways for them to engage making it super relevant and really like if if you were in my english class at hunter college you will probably be hearing a lot of this also around how to teach english right like make it relevant yeah. have lots of choice right so so that's where like my pedagogic background comes in right and and it's also about being inclusive, right? And knowing that you have a lot of different students with a lot of different bodies and a lot of different experiences. So you wanna offer lots of different things because it's gonna land differently, right? Mm -hmm. So then remembering that participation looks different for everybody as well. So even if the student has his headset on and has the hoodie on, they're probably still getting something out of it even if it doesn't look like they're engaging, Mm -hmm. right? They probably are still listening. And I've had lots of stories of the student that I thought wasn't listening to me for six weeks, Mm -hmm. Last day of class. Don't leave. I love your classes. Please, like, mm. come back, mm-hmm. right? I got so much out of this. At home, I do this, this, and this, and this, and that, and the other, right? So part of it is, like, having lots of choice and being really open about how they receive it. And then you also being super compassionate and understanding if it doesn't land the way you hope that it will. And that's where your own practice kind of supports you. So. Obviously, there's lots more around that. I spend a whole year talking about that with the people at Mindful Schools. We do lots of trainings around Little Flower Yoga. There's like three different levels of it because there's a lot of a lot that needs to be kind of unpacked around what I just said. Mm-hmm. But that's just kind of like the surface kind of approach. Um, if you want to talk highly about different things that you could do with your child, <laughs> you could definitely do it online, <laughs> offline, right? I definitely offer some stuff. But that's just kind of like the surface stuff that I could share with you. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I've seen that even with my son, like he was having like a total meltdown 
the other day. I mean, he's great and doesn't, doesn't, if they don't happen that often, he'd be great even if they did happen often. But, um, but uh, I like, I, instead of trying to like talk him out of it, I just started asking him questions about what was happening in his body. Like, is your hair wet or dry? And man, it works so fast, faster than anything else. And and we've done it a couple times since then. And now I call it the noticing game. <laughs> um, but it's oh, been I it's, love that. Yeah, and it's just been so. That's one of the like for me joys of parenting is when you like stumble onto something and then it works, and you're like, oh, oh, we're onto something good here. <laughs> um, well, and the thing about that though, right? It's like that will probably work with your partner. That will probably work with people that you have in a hard conversation with right and 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 that's maybe the last thing i'll offer around it is that when i'm teaching adults it's like basically the same approach right it's like here are the five elements or here are some things that you could do try them off size how does that feel there's more conversation obviously and there's more um age appropriate kind of topics that i'm talking about as a parent especially if i'm talking to parents or like oh how can mindfulness support you in parenting right um, so I think there's different maybe topics, but at the end of the day, all that stuff, all those activities and games that I do with kids sometimes work even better with the adults, right? Mm. Because in some ways we're all just trying to be kids again. Right. right. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> and in some ways, developmentally, some parts of us are still teenagers, you know what mm, I mean? Yeah. So it's like, or five. <laughs> or five <right? laughs> so yeah, so it's, it's basically the same approach. It's just the topic. You age it up or you age it down. Um, and everybody that I speak to who does this work for a living, bringing mindfulness to educators, adults, or children, have their own way of doing it. But you'll see that there's usually a lot of overlap, right? Unless it's like an MBSR, which is, I think, which more uh, traditional, has its own kind of format. Usually folks are trying lots of different things and basically just getting people to talk to each other, getting people to move their bodies a little bit, getting people to just feel comfortable with, the, with one another, within their bodies, creating safe spaces, right? And again, these are all things that actually fit really nicely with social justice, mm-hmm. with teaching, with relationships. And that's why I feel like mindfulness is such a revolutionary tool, mm-hmm. right? That if we can learn to use it as much as possible within our own practical day-to-day life, like sure, have your cushion meditation practice. That's important too. Sure, go on retreat. That's definitely helpful as well. But really the work, at least the real spiritual work, I think happens in those relationships that you're having every day with folks, right? Like that's really where the spiritual growth happens, right? Mm. Maybe it used to be that if you lived in a monastery, you could reach enlightenment, maybe, right? But that's not the world we're living in now, right? None of us have that, or some of us might have access to that, but most of us don't. So how do we do that in the real world? Because this is what we really needed anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. Like, I feel like, um, this is, I don't know if this is related or not, but I do think it's, it's relevant. There's a story about a monk who went out, you know, was, you know, med- spent all his time meditating and then went out into the real world and then came back and was like, Oh my God, that was so overwhelming. That was so stressful. Like, I don't ever want to do that again. I just want to be here and meditate. And, and the question is like, but if your spiritual practice, like meditation isn't helping you be in the real world to connect with people and and deal with people and and the like you said like the, the relationships you know like can be stressful like ho- then then is it really helping because ho- ideally hopefully all of this work that we're doing is so that yeah we can feel more connected <laughs> and tap into that greater sense of love and yeah it does if, you, if you're not on the mat doing it if you're doing it in your everyday life then you're way ahead of the fucking game <laughs> yeah totally yeah totally. yeah my gosh 
This has been such a nourishing conversation. My goodness. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Argos, you have Me so too. much to offer. This has just been so fascinating. I, um, I, we, we got to end it here, but I do want to hear a little bit more about your work and just tell the audience a little bit more about exactly what you do and where they can find you and maybe other educators who might want to be connected with um, doing the kind of work you do. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would love to share. Um, so I, I wear lots of different hats. Um, so I'm an adjunct lecturer at Hunter College. So I work with English teachers there and I also introduce them to mindfulness. So that's kind of like my uh, adult job. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and, then uh, and then, I also work for Mindful Schools, which is a nonprofit based out of uh, Oakland. And they bring mindfulness to educators. And so they have online courses. So if you go on Mindful Schools, you can take online courses. And then they also have a year-long program, which I'm one of the lead teachers for, which is awesome because I get to work with a group of like 200 teachers there's a, there's a team of us that do it um and they work with us the whole year and the idea is to support them with their practice but also support them and being able to bring this into their communities into their school communities i also work for little flower yoga which is based out of here out of new york uh, where i'm at and that's great because they allow me to go into lots of public schools in new york city so that's still my connection to new york city schools because as you mentioned, I worked there for a really long time and sometimes I miss that. So I get to go into schools with, through Little Flower Yoga and work with students and teachers. I do professional development for them. So you go to Little Flower Yoga and check that out. We have week-long trainings as well. We train adults to also bring uh, yoga and mindfulness into schools. And something that Little Flower offers that mindfulness doesn't is that movement component, mm -hmm. which I think, especially when you're working with kids, is really, really important. Yeah. And then lastly, I do a lot of work with my wife in Little Flower Yoga. She's the program director, but also with Embody Wisdom, which is our own organization, Embody without an E. Uh, and what we do is that we also do a lot of group consulting and we work with organizations, uh, in particular orgs that are doing service work to support them in bringing mindfulness because those folks are usually so wiped out, so mm -hmm. tired and need self-care and need support. Um, we're doing a 30 day gratitude challenge that I would, I would love for you all to kind of join in. Uh, so if you use the hashtag 30 day of gratitude, mm -hmm. days of gratitude, uh, you could check out our social media, um, uh, Instagram and Facebook embodied M B O D I E D wisdom. And that's also our, our website embodywisdom.com. Uh, we have lots of practices there because we also want to make things accessible. So we have recordings there for everybody. And that's just kind of like what I'm doing now. I'm just trying to have mindfulness be my full-time gig as much as possible mm -hmm. so that I'm offering it to educators because educators will always have like a soft spot in my heart because I was a teacher for so long. And, yeah. and educators tend to always have like uh, a selflessness to them yeah. that sometimes gets them in trouble because they're so busy taking care of others that they can't take care of themselves. So yeah. that I love to offer it to them. But then I also love working with adults and we do privates and we do all types of stuff um, to make sure that adults and children are also getting that extra help that they need so that they could thrive and, and just be happy in their lives and yeah. be more at peace with themselves. Yeah. And I just want to give a ringing endorsement because I took a, a one day seminar with Argos and his wife in New York and it was so much fun. <laughs> I still remember it. We just, we, we tried a lot of different modalities and That's right. what's so exciting about that is just being around other people, other meditators exactly. who are like so interested in it as well. So and that was six years ago and I can only imagine things have just continued to evolve. So that's ringing endorsement. I just can't say Thank enough good things about yeah, that. Yeah, and I want to say my wife's name because I keep calling her my oh, wife. Oh, yes, 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 please. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, to be, and to be fair, like if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be here. Her, her mm. name is Mayuri Gonzalez. Mayuri, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, my life. 
Oh, that's so sweet. Yes. Um, I do want to ask a few more questions though, because yeah. I'm just really genuinely curious. So mindful schools, do teachers sign up for that individually or do schools set the teachers up for that kind of thing? Yeah, it's mostly individuals, but we do have partnerships with schools who will like get a couple, like their school or interested folks or the counselors, like they'll sign them all up and they'll take courses and okay. then we'll support them. But usually it's individuals. Um, okay, although when it. I took it, because I, I did the year long with them as well, like my school supported me and paid for some of it from their funding. So there's like a lot of different ways that schools do support okay. teachers. Um, and I mentioned earlier, you mentioned that it's hard sometimes to get into schools and mm-hmm. that's still true, but it's becoming increasingly easier. Okay. Right? That's and great that's to why, hear. Yeah. But that's okay. also why we, if you are offering this stuff in schools, you want to make sure it's secular because it just takes one lawsuit to kind of say no more mindfulness in schools. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so little flower, right? Am I saying that right? Yep. Little flower yoga. That, so you and your wife and you're saying you help service based or so like social workers and other like, yeah. So with little flower yoga, there's um, lots, mainly educators, but mm-hmm. also lots of yoga teachers who want to know how to teach mindfulness and yoga to children. And then you also get lots of clinicians who, what I find what's interesting about clinicians, like they know all this stuff, right? We're not really inter- like teaching them anything except mm-hmm. of how to now turn that knowing into actionable things that you can mm. do with a client or with a, with a child who's in your school office or whatever, right? Because sometimes knowing what's happening with them and that they're dealing with anxiety or some form of trauma, it's good. Mm-hmm. But then what do you do with that? And so then yeah. we offer them different activities so that they can support their children in an age appropriate way. And, and so that's why we also get a lot of clinicians. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So cool. All right, Argos, thank you. important work. Yes, I know. (laughs) That's insane. God's work right there. Love's work. Love's Love's work. work. That's right. (laughs) All right. Thank you so, so much for being a guest on our show today. This was, uh, honestly, I learned a lot and also very... um, heart feeling yeah <laughs> thank you Same. it was so much fun connecting with you again eva and oh wait no we have kylie. our we, we have our last question I oh do you? Yes. okay okay, okay yes. good yeah um how about kylie i'll ask can i ask you first today like sure what's sure. something in your life that's bringing you joy at the moment so um this is very on theme of the topic of the the show today but i'm reading this book um called mary magdalene revealed by megan watterson and it is so good Ooh, what um, is it? Uh, so I also grew up Catholic Argos, um, uh, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, so it's really speaking to, to that part of myself. So Mary Magdalene, you know, Jesus is, um, I don't know, BFF. <laughs> she, there's, you know, there's <clears throat> some of you may not know, but there's basically a whole bunch of, uh, ancient texts of old gospels that got buried in the sand by these monks back around the time when, sorry, I'm super nerding out on y'all, but um, back around the time that what we know as the New Testament was like getting formed as the New Testament, right? And and these monks, um, there were a bunch of books that basically didn't make the cut, right? Because they were ultimately, I think, too radical. And so there were a bunch of monks that buried them in clay jars in the sand. And they've been since been discovered. And they're often sort of collectively referred to as the Gnostic Gospels, although technically Mary Magdalene's is not a Gnostic Gospel. It gets lumped into all of them. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I love that you're geeking out on this stuff. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> this is all news to me, though, by the way. I have to say, I have no oh, idea. I yeah. love, I am, I'm such a nerd for this stuff. Um, and just in general. But anyway, so so, so, so there is an, one of these uh, ancient uh, sort of heretical gospels is is there is Mary Magdalene's gospel, 
Um, and Megan Wanderson is a Harvard Divinity trained uh, theologian um, who is just like totally has her own personal brand of what all of this stuff means to her. Um, and so she wrote this book that is in part sort of a philosophical uh, theological look at Mary Magdalene's gospel but it's also just her own personal journey of like what reading this work means to her and how she understands basically the kind of questions that we're asking on this podcast and and it's just beautiful and authentic and real and doesn't take itself too seriously and I love it that's awesome awesome thank you (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Next time I'll try to have something like succinct and <laughs> no, I, 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 actually, I like it. I, no, but... I like it. I like it when they're kind of drawn out to be honest. But, uh, um, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, Argos, uh, how about you? What is something that's bringing you joy these days? It doesn't have to be on the topic of spirituality. Mine just is this week. Yeah, yeah. it was. It wasn't gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my daughter signed me up. You know, like they have those boxes that you get. So she signed us up for these sticker boxes. So now we get these sticker boxes at the beginning of the month. And so we have these sticker boxes that are super awesome. So me, my little guy, and her fight over which ones we want. Oh my god, that is so, so cute. And then and then we all put them on our skateboards. Oh my god, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, no, stickers are undeniably always fun, I would say. So that's what's bringing me joy today. Awesome. I love that. And I'll just jump in with mine. Honestly, this is very, it is a coincidence. I would have said this even if we weren't talking to you today, Argos. Um, My meditation practice is currently bringing me a lot of joy. And I think it's because, you know, I go through patches where I feel like I go through the motions and, um, and, and then I go and then I come back to it again where I feel really reconnected. And um, I just like relaunched this meditation program that I do with my clients and just doing all the research and reading all the books. I read 10% Happier and I'm like, it just reinvigorated my passion for it or my, I mean, my, my love of just sitting down and being still and being by myself and not having any expectations. And I just feel grounded and connected in a way that I think I really need right now. So just, yeah, that's what, that's, what's really doing it for me right now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Eva. Well, this is where I get to say that I'm super grateful for the invitation to be here and that I had a lot of fun. Um, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you all again and just kind of connecting in some other way. Yes, totally. You could, you're always welcome back. And I have a feeling that I will, I just have a feeling that I will probably at some point be reaching out for something because you just seem like a wealth of information. Yeah, <laughs> Thank <you>. same. <laughs> Thank you for the work that you're both doing. It's really important. Oh, thank yeah, you so much. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's been like, it's just been so much fun. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Um, you can find me, Eva, at Bad Bitch Living on Instagram, also at evaliao.com. I also have a one-on-one meditation and coaching program uh, right now that you can sign up for. So if you're interested, you can find out all the details on my website. And uh, you can find me at underscore Akashic Grace uh, on Instagram. For a long time, I've been telling you all it was just Akashic Grace. <laughs> there is an underscore. <laughs> I thought so. I wasn't sure. I thought there was. Even new. I forgot. <laughs> uh, so you can follow me there. I post pictures of my kids being cute and uh, words that are inspiring. And um, uh, and also I read Akashic Records. So if that's something you're interested in, you can uh, sign up for a reading um, or just sign up for my mailing list and then you get you get the monthly uh, just message for everybody, which is one of my most favorite things to do. Yay. Um, yeah. So and me. then also you can find our podcast at hellouniversepod.com and also our Instagram, hello universepod, same thing. 
Um, and if you can like and subscribe, honestly, that really, really does help. Um, it's actually pretty simple. <laughs> it's not as complicated as I thought. Get on your iTunes app, scroll down to the bottom. You can, yeah, if you have something, if you have any feedback, comments, we would love to hear it. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank you for listening and um, for sticking with us. And if you think of someone who might love this show, please pass it along because nothing, nothing sticks like a, like a personal recommendation. And <laughs> yes. uh, we're grateful for you spending this time with us. Yes. All, All right, right, folks. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.